Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you, uh, God. We want to stand in awe of who you are. Not you bring you down to being someone like us, but to see you high above, creator of all things. The one who sustains everything by his word, you speak and it's in existence and remains in existence till you say stop. You are the creator God. Jesus, you are the son of God. We thank you that you've given your Holy Spirit. But we can know you with us and in us today. God, our hearts is we want to keep encountering you because with every encounter comes a new change. God, I pray that hearts that may have been hardened have been softened. I pray that resistant will will be laid down. As we gather around your feet, Jesus, no man, you. To say, God, would you have your will in our life, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, you can be seated today. That's beautiful worship. I want to try and, again, not take too long speaking today because I want us to keep creating an atmosphere for encounter. And sometimes we can get into a mode in church where we sing fast songs, sing slow songs, and uh, listen to something from the Bible. But I just really believe we're in this incredible moment of encounter where we need to create space. If you're new with us, don't worry about everybody getting up and leaving. That's our young people going off to their special work. We want to create space, and that's what we've done this week in our lives. We've dared to create space for God to speak and for God to touch lives. Now, I've loved it this month as we've been speaking about encounter, but what every one of us have in common is we need fresh encounters with Jesus. All the other stuff, the questions, the answers, the needs, the circumstances, they're all changed when we have fresh encounter with him. Oh, may our hearts continue to hunger fresh encounter. What I love about fresh encounter with Jesus is he comes out of every other box you've packaged him in and brings fresh reality of who he is back into our lives. What I love about encounters is encounters change us. Amen? Encounters with him. Encounters in worship. Encounters in prayer. They change us. You know, God never wanted you to have a religion about him. He wanted you to have a relationship with him. And those are two completely different things. There's a lot of religion in the country today that speaks about who he was. But in the midst of that, God wants us to be a people that have a relationship with him that's changing our world. You know, when you read through the Gospels, I wrote a couple down here. You see time and time again in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, accounts of people that encountered him. And in that moment, their lives were changed. For us today, God wants us to be a people encountering him. I just wrote down the names of two or three people because they represent radical change. In the book of Luke chapter 19, we read about a man called Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a person who'd experienced religion but wasn't satisfied. 
And Zacchaeus is that short man that climbs a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus passes under the branch of that tree, looks up and says, today I'm coming to your house. And then suddenly Jesus goes to the house of Zacchaeus and there's no preaching. Jesus doesn't stand on the table and preach. Yet he just begins to eat with Zacchaeus. And all of a sudden Zacchaeus jumps up and says, I've been robbing everyone. I've been handling my finances wrong. And in a moment, Zacchaeus changes the way he handles finances, the way he treats people. One moment, one encounter with Jesus can change everything. Then I think of a religious man in John 3 called Nicodemus. We've all heard of Nicodemus in John John chapter 3, who he was a religious man. He was a Pharisee, a Sadducee. Some would say I couldn't see and I wouldn't see. And he came by night to the house where Jesus was staying. He heard him in the marketplace. But because of his position in religion, he couldn't go to Jesus in the front of everyone. Well, he could have, but he chose not to. But suddenly Jesus hears a knock at the door and Nicodemus is there. This man representing religion, the law, Moses, Jewish tradition. And he turns to Jesus and says, "What what have I got to do? to be born again, to receive these things you're talking about. In that moment, Nicodemus, this religious man, was changed. God introduced him to the one that religion was about. But also his theology was corrected. Do you know, we've all got wrong theology somewhere in our lives, haven't we? But when you spend time with Jesus, wrong theology gets corrected. Suddenly Nicodemus moved from an old covenant into a new covenant an Old Testament into a New Testament. Suddenly Jesus became relevant for who he was today. So many examples. In Luke 8, you read about a man that the Bible named a demoniac. What does that mean? This man wasn't being oppressed by devils. He was full of them. He had a legion of devils, thousands and thousands of devils controlling his life. Society didn't know what to do with him. So they isolated him to a region called Gadarenes, or Genere, as some would say it. And he was left alone, living in the tombs, people ignoring him, obsessed, cutting himself, running around out of his mind. And the Bible says, all of a sudden, the feet of Jesus arrive on the shore of Gadarenes. And in that moment, Jesus hadn't said anything yet. Everything that was in him, oppressing him, tormenting him, begged to be put into pigs. But Jesus hadn't yet spoken. No, when you encounter his presence, words are an extra. The man was completely set free from torment. Maybe today we could say addiction, um, depression, things that were destroying him. In one moment, one moment, everything changed. Good news is this wasn't just a man thing. The Gospels are filled with so many accounts of women who encountered Jesus as well. Time doesn't allow. One that sticks out in my mind is the woman that was caught in adultery in John 8. In the book of John, in the Gospel of John chapter 8, you read about this woman caught in adultery. We don't know her name. 
They don't tell us her name. She could have been Sheila. She could have been Nora. She could have been Jane. I, I don't know. We just know that she was a woman caught in adultery, which means she was in the act of adultery. And I'm sure you know that there's always two people involved in that act. But the guy was let out. Maybe he slipped out under the back of a tent. Maybe he was a religious man. But this poor woman is dragged out to the marketplace and thrown down at the feet of Jesus to make a point. And the religious people there stood there and said, what about her, Jesus? What have we got to do? The law says we've got to stone her to death. Oh, she must have just cowered on the ground and said, yeah, I'm going to get what I deserve. And she was waiting for that first stone. But all of a sudden, Jesus begins to write in the sand. Nobody really knows what he wrote. But then he said, absolutely, you nailed it, guide. You're trying to set me up. You did it. She deserves to die. Here's the rules. Let the person who's never sinned throw the first stone. And the stones began to fall to the ground. And the religious people began to walk away. This woman lifts her eyes and sees Jesus smiling over her. And he says, where are your accusers? I don't accuse you either. Get up. Go live a different life. You don't need to be that person anymore. One day we're going to meet that lady in heaven and hear about the life that she lived after that encounter. But there's a lady that really stood out to me today. Talk about confirmation. We sung a new song all about her today. And that was the lady that, again, we don't know her name, but we just know her as the Samaritan woman. And we read about her in the book of John. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn to the book of John. Chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading from verse 5. I, I want to read through this account. I know normally we reference a passage, but I want to read a lot of verses today. Is that okay to read the Bible in church? All right, no one's going to get offended or anything like that? Okay, just checking, because people can get offended real easy these days. And we read about this woman, and again, all we know is that she was a Samaritan, and Jesus was passing through this region. And it says in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, <clears throat> near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there also. Isn't that interesting? We've been talking about Jacob, how Jacob had an encounter that changed his life. Now Jesus is at Jacob's well many years later. And he's there and he's tired because he was on a journey. He sat down by the well and it was about noon. That's 12 o'clock in the afternoon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water. So this Samaritan woman is coming at 12 o'clock to draw water. That's not unusual. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, sir, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. They'd come from the same line, but Jews believed that God was worshipped in one place, Samaritans in another. There were many differences between a Jew and a Samaritan, which means they didn't get on and they shouldn't talk to each other. Also, in the culture of that day, Jesus being a man shouldn't approach a woman 
and talk to her in this manner. Looks like none of those things stopped Jesus though, eh? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is very deep. Where can you get this living water that you speak about? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank for it from it himself and gave it to his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, we sang this this morning, didn't we? Everybody that drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here and draw again. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, spot on, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're now with is not your husband. What you've just said is absolutely truthful. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. I wonder how she came to that conclusion, eh? Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place to be worshipped is in Jerusalem. That was one of the differences between Samaritans and Jews. Woman, Jesus replied, because he didn't know her name. Well, he probably did, but he just said, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now is here where true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain to us everything. Then Jesus declared, I, I, am the one speaking to you. The one you're waiting for, that's me. I am he. This encounter was an incredible encounter where we see a number of things. But Jesus meets this lady, this Samaritan at the well, and in some ways she was disqualified in three ways. Number one, like we said, We know the Bible tells us that she was a Samaritan, and in that time, Samaritans and Jews never associated. Number two, we know that she was a woman. And again, under the culture of that time, Jesus wouldn't be coming up to a strange woman as a man to a woman at a well. It was just not culturally done. But also, we need to understand that she was considered an outcast. Why? Something that must have happened with the five husbands that she had and the man she was currently with had left her an outcast in her community. How do we know that? Because she's drawing the water at 12 o'clock. You see, a well was a social place. It was like a coffee bar. And in the culture of that time, the ladies of the town, the ladies of the city, would gather around the well in the morning 
to draw water. They chat, talk, natter, catch up with each other. But suddenly we see this woman's coming at 12 o'clock when no other ladies are around. Maybe she'd had an affair with one of her husbands, their brother, her uncle. Maybe she'd committed adultery with a few of them. I don't know what she did. The Bible doesn't let us in to those secrets. But we do know she was an outcast because she drew the water in the heat of the day on her own. But what I love about this is Jesus doesn't recognise any of these divides. Every divide that had been placed in position by man and even religion, Jesus, just with his big boots or his big sandals, walked straight across those divides because he saw the person in need. He saw the person who, even though she hadn't got it right and had made many mistakes just like us, had an earnest desire in her heart to know God, really. Even though she'd experienced religion, she had something in her that said, I want to know God in reality. As a Samaritan, I was taught this. I know the Jews were taught this. But whatever's being taught, I want to know, is there a God? Is he real? Well, we know that she did believe that because she said, the Messiah, I believe the Messiah is coming. And Jesus turns around and says, it's me. I'm here. The second point I want to just grab is this thought of the satisfaction he offered. He said to her, You've been drawing this natural water. I can give you water that will take away your thirst. Again, naturally, she thought he must be speaking about H2O. He must be speaking about water that quenches for a moment. But Jesus was actually speaking about the longings that were deeper in her life. Because Jesus knew her thirst for natural, but he also knew Probably the reason she'd ploughed through five relationships, that she was there as an outcast, was because there were appetites in her that had never been satisfied. Jesus said, I will give you water that takes away that thirst in you. Hey, remember last week, if you were here last week, we had a crusty old loaf of bread, didn't we? And we said, this is what some people's relationship with God turns into, but let's never forget the fact he wants us to enjoy fresh bread. I hope a lot of you have been enjoying fresh bread this week, fresh bread of his presence. This time, Jesus isn't speaking about bread or food. He's talking about water, but it's the same principle. He's saying, if you're looking for something that will satisfy the longing within you, there's nothing on the planet naturally that can do that. Oh, it can for a moment, but not much longer than a moment. You'll wake up the next morning hungry and thirsty again. A week later, you'll be looking again for something else. Jesus steps into the middle of that pursuit like he did this lady. And he says to us today, if you will come to me, I will satisfy your hunger. You'll still enjoy other things then, but not try to get a flavor from them that they can't give you. Jeremiah put it this way. He said, my people have committed two crimes. They've turned away from me the living water, the fresh water, and they've made for themselves broken pots. And they sip from broken pots trying to remove their thirst. If only they would turn from broken wells and come back to me, I'll satisfy them. 
This encounter changed her life. How do we know that? Because when we read on in the next verses, it says that all of a sudden after being with Jesus, she left and she went down to the town and the village and began to tell everyone that she'd met, I've met the Messiah. I've met. She began to instantly talk about some people don't share their faith with others, some of them for 20 years. But this woman, no. This encounter, she suddenly realized she'd met the one who could give her what she was longing. She'd met the one who could make sense of her life. She met the one who wasn't judging or condemning her, but bringing her into a new experience. She'd met the one her heart had been longing for, but she never knew it was this man called Jesus. We don't really know because we weren't there exactly what happened in this woman's life but something huge must have happened because when you read on in this story this account it says that she runs down to the local village or town and she starts to say to everyone I've met the life changer I've met the one who forgives sin I've met the one who satisfies I've met the one that helps you to make sense of your life I've met the one that you have an inner longing for. I've met him. And it says all of a sudden, she started to go back up the hill to Jesus. And there were hundreds of others who said, we want to meet him too. We want to meet this one. Because most of them would have known this woman or known of this woman, probably in a negative way. But all of a sudden they experienced a woman whose life had been changed radically by an encounter with this man called Jesus. And they said, we want that water too. We want to experience life change too. We want life to make sense too. And it's almost like a funny storyline because at the same moment, you've got the disciples coming back from Tesco. (laughs) See, when all of this had happened, it said the disciples had gone to town to get food. And suddenly, unaware of what's happened, the disciples, the marvelettes, turn back up and they arrive and they're holding their happy meal or something. And they're saying, Jesus, we got your food. And he said, I've got food that you don't know of. My food is to do the will of a father. And they must have thought to himself, someone sneaked him a sani. Somebody sneaked him a happy meal. But he wasn't speaking of natural food, but spiritual delight. And then suddenly he said, look. And they look back and there's this woman with an army of honest everyday people, just like you and me, saying we don't want religion. We don't want smells and bells. We want a God that can change our life. And suddenly the disciples are like, where are they coming from? He said, that's what I did when you were in Tesco's. And then he looked over them and he said, those famous words, oh, the fields are ripe. He wasn't speaking about corn or wheat or barley. He said, people are ripe, but the labourers are few. Go into the harvest field. And let everyone know, I am available for a life-changing 
encounter. I'm going to get the band back up. I know this unnerves people because we're creatures of habit and normally Andy preaches till one minute past 12. I get that. And I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Because God wants to mess our hair up. If you've got it. Don't want to exclude anyone today. God wants to mess our hair up or polish our head, however that works in your world. The key is we've got to want him. I'm so glad Dan Warboys doesn't get offended. He's so much bigger than me and he could kind of throw me across the room. God wants us to encounter him. We've had a month where we've spoken about encounter. And I didn't ever want this just to be a message. But I wanted to create atmospheres all across our congregations today. Anywhere we've planted churches, every one of them are creating moments for people to have fresh encounter. Hey, your leaders have been on their knees for you this week. God, would you give Family Church fresh encounters? Let's create a moment. Let's create a moment where we can meet him again at a well. Let's come before him, the one that we sung was mighty one. The one we refer to as Jaira, the one who's more than enough. Let's just invest some time in worshiping him. It's interesting that in that analogy or that passage that we wrote, it spoke about worship, didn't it? And he said to this woman, Ah, oh, you got people over here worshipping this way and they say, that's right. You got people over here worshipping this way and they say they're right. But actually what the Father is looking for is a people from every tribe and tongue, every nation and every place. But don't make worship karaoke sing-along. But don't sing merely from their soul or their mind or their natural understanding but a people that just can shut their eyes and in the same moment be before him in the throne room but just say you are holy you are awesome you are life changer we got any worshipers here today can we stand to our feet lord would you give us fresh encounters would you give us moments of fresh encounter today God, we're not seeking weird or wacky or spooky or weird. We we want reality. Jesus, we want you to become more real to us than you've ever been before. We want to see you clearer than we've ever seen you. I want to invite, I just believe God's doing something unusual with us all today. But I want to invite anyone under the age of 21 to come forward for a fresh encounter with God. I see that there's a war on for our young people. There is a battle on for our young people. Yet God wants to raise up a young people that are in pursuit of Him. But young people are brilliant because they don't settle for things that aren't real. Young people need, well all people need, things that are real. Could I just invite some of our youth, I know our ignition have gone out, I should have stopped them going out, I know, but... Yeah, go get them. Bring them back. Just cancel that class and bring them back in. If anyone says anything, Sean said it, all right. But if you're under 21, I want to invite you. Would you just come forward? That doesn't mean that the rest of us aren't going to worship or encounter. 
I just want us as a church to stand around our young people and just pray for them that they would have encounters. Look at this army, guys, of under 21. Come on forward. What I love about the young people today is when something's real, they're not ashamed to live for it. Is that Ray Mills coming forward? You ain't 21, dream it. Come on, come on forward, push on in. Mosh pit, mosh pit. Come on, a Jesus mosh pit. Church, would you stretch your hands towards these young people and just begin to pray for these young people? God, would you give our young people and the ones that are coming, God, out of the classroom, would you give encounters? Jesus, would you become so real? to these young people. God, there's young people here today that have not even even met you yet. God, would you become real to them? There's, there's kids that were raised in Christian homes. God, would you become real to them this morning? God, there's, there's young people who are about to walk away from you because they're bored. God, would you meet with them today? Would you meet with them today? Come on church, begin to pray for our young people. There's a battle for our young people. God's got a plan for our young people. He's a God of generations to generations. He's praying, He wants to do things for our children and our children's children. Father, we pray over our young people that they would have fresh encounters with you. Let's just begin to worship all over this room.